Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined to the line later today by Jason Fairheller. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, give you a quick recap of the week that was, what's going on in my world, and then we will get into this new episode. So, not a ton to update you on. I'll do my best to keep this brief. I feel like my little opening pieces have been a little bit longer than usual here lately, but coming off the 4th of July weekend, pretty low key around here, went into the gym, got a lift, got on the grill Saturday, made some solid burgers and brats, so fam was smashing that, and then kiddos hung out probably way too late, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, Saturday night running around. I mean, they were having so much fun between sparklers, poppets, uh, glow sticks. I mean, glow sticks are still a thing, evidently. But yeah, they had a blast. Sunday went out, went to brunch, spent about three hours at the pool to try and tire them out. So pretty low-key weekend, but definitely enjoyable. Uh, the training and coaching is kind of rolling on. It's it's downgraded just a little bit here as a handful of my guys, well, Glenn is obviously back and as of this week going into the bubble. And then I had a couple of guys that had been training with me that are playing in the TBT tournament this week. So that's been fun actually getting to watch some live basketball and watch some of my guys play a little bit. So that's been really good. And then I've got a handful more kiddos that are going to be gone after this week as they start to go back to school, which it's still mind-blowing. I mean, I still can't get over the way this whole year has felt where, you know, it feels like it's gone on forever, but then there are certain elements where it's like, man, I feel like I just got them back and got them going, and then they're already taking off and leaving again. So that's kind of what's going on as far as the training and coaching piece. Uh, the two big things that I'm working on, because I have a vacation coming up, and I don't know why I do this to myself, but I always kind of set like a big target or a big goal right before vacation. It makes me feel, number one, a little bit accomplished. <laughs> and number two, it always makes me feel like I earned the vacation and I earned the time off. So um, leading into that, number one, I've got an iFastU presentation I'm working on. So if you saw the coaches versus COVID supersets presentation, that was like skimming the surface. I feel like on some of the stuff that we do and some of the, the ways that I program supersets. So I'm taking that information and then like upgrading it because in the actual presentation that I gave before, it was kind of the theory and kind of some of the application. And this is just all application. So all sorts of different supersets, different strategies that you can use. So really excited to share that with the group because you know, Bill is so smart. And when he does these Q and A's and people are really taking these deep dives into movement, I feel like it's fantastic, right? Like you're really walking away with this with a newfound appreciation for how clients move, why they move the way that they do, how to choose better exercises for them. But I think sometimes you get all this great information and you don't always know how to apply it. So that's what I'm really excited to share is really help some of these people understand like, okay, these are the problems that you may be looking to solve. Here's how we actually go about solving them. So anyway, excited uh, to finish that up. I got a few videos that I need to shoot, just like some exercises that I use, but don't necessarily have videos for. So I'm going to knock that out this week. And then really the big project that I need to have done in two weeks, because <laughs> that's when Paul is going to come in and shoot, is I'm adding an entirely new module to the Complete Coach Cert. And I'm always listening to people's feedback. So after I launched it the first time, I got a lot of really positive feedback, but I also got a handful of people. It wasn't negative, but they just said, look, like your boy, Eric moves great. Like his squats, his deadlifts, like everything looks very clean. What do you do if somebody doesn't move like Eric? 
So what do you do with somebody that's really short or somebody that's really exhaled and compressed and locked up and they've got a big kyphosis? You know, what do you do with all these different people? So what I did to kind of fill in that gap was I hosted a workshop and I brought people in and I recorded the whole thing and then I added that to the complete coach cert. So now not only do you get all those materials, the the complete coach cert materials themselves, but you get this two day workshop too. So you really get to dive in and see, okay, how do I choose various exercises? How do I coach different exercises based on how people move? So I feel like that was a huge value add. And then the next piece that people still have a lot of questions about is the assessment process. And some people think that all we do are table tests, which is actually like not at all the case anymore at IFAST. We use hardly any table tests, at least with our general client assessment. And, you know, a lot of people are still doing, say, the FMS or they're using some of these other screens. And, you know, while there's nothing wrong with those, I think the assessment that we use now and the system that we use to deliver the assessment process is so streamlined. And at the end of the day, look, there's really two goals of an assessment, right? Number one, it's to start building a relationship and building a rapport with your clients and athletes. That's number one and arguably the most important piece. And then number two is to figure out, hey, legitimately, what can this person do in a gym? And I think a lot of times now we beat around the bush and some people do 25 table tests or they do uh, some sort of movement screen or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, you still don't really know like what somebody can do. Like, can they squat? Can they hinge? Can they lunge? Can they do a push up? So I think the assessment model that we use now is basic, like I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's the most advanced thing, but it absolutely gets the job done. It helps you write that first program like that is the goal. When you finish an assessment is to figure out and be very clear on what can this client or athlete standing in front of me do? How can we start them on a path to being successful day one in the gym? And that's what it's all about. So really excited to put that together. And, you know, I've been taking the dog for walks and and shutting the the music off when I drive in my car because I'm trying to put all these pieces together in my head. But I think if I can tie it together the way that I want, it's going to be not only really useful, but really impactful. As I'm thinking it through, I think I'm even going to add in a couple extra programming templates that are based off this. So if you've got somebody that is very exhaled, very compressed, well, they need a exercise program and a fitness program that's going to teach them to load their system again. And vice versa, if you've got somebody that is very inhaled, they're very biased towards loading their system, then they need a program that's going to be more propulsive in nature. So I'm just really excited about putting all those pieces together and helping people better understand like, okay, what am I seeing from this person? Then what exercises do they need to improve their movement quality? And then finally, how do I actually write a program that's going to reinforce good movement quality and that's going to help them get the performance or the aesthetic outcomes that they're looking for? So that's kind of my goal with all this. And again, kind of overwhelming to think that I've got to have all this done in two weeks, but that's kind of how I roll. Like it's all in my head now. It's just a matter of sitting down each and every day getting an hour, two hours in on the PowerPoints, putting all the pieces together and just making this something that's really, really powerful for the the trainers, the coaches, the rehab specialists that invest in the product. Cause man, I'm jazzed about it. I feel like every time I launch it, I'm getting it in front of more people. It's helping more people uh, achieve their goals. So very excited about where that is going. So that is it 
From me, I'm going to stop rambling now. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome new episode with my boy Jason. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me, or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill, and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple. Restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you will be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better, and access to the iFastU archives, where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Jason Fairheller is co-owner and strength coach at Function and Strength in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. When Jason began his training career, he had an interest in developing athletic speed and power. And over the past decade, that interest has turned into a passion. In addition to training, he has lectured on strength and conditioning as an adjunct professor at Immaculata University. He has also contributed articles on speed training, as well as taught the course Functional Speed Training for the Fitness Professional and Healthcare Provider. In this show, Jason and I take a deep dive into the world of multidirectional speed and power development. We start by talking about why this is such a critical piece of the puzzle and where many coaches are missing the boat. Then we dive into practical application and talk about the various tools, drills, and mediums he uses to make his athletes more explosive. And finally, we talk a little bit about program design and see how he incorporates his power development work into a typical training week. Jason has a ton of great insights, and I really think you're going to enjoy our discussion. But enough for me. Let's do this. Jason, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to chat with you a little bit. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So first off, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's truly an honor. There are a few podcasts that have shaped my coaching career, and this is one of them. Oh, thank um, so, you, man. I yeah, appreciate that. First off, thank you with that. I'm a strength coach in the Philadelphia area. I own a gym, Function and Strength, with two other guys, Ryan Hiker and Marty Toms. And this November coming up will be five years since we opened. So we're looking forward to continuing to grow. Thank you. Congrats, man. And you said you get to open up here soon too, right? Yes, tomorrow. So tomorrow will be towards the end of June. And it's been about three and a half months since I've actually been able to do anything in the gym. So looking forward to it. And I know a lot of the athletes and people we train are looking forward to getting back in. 
I love it, man. Very cool. And tell me, what led you to the world of physical preparation? How did you get started in all this? Well, I would say it, it stems from one question, and it's how do athletes reach their athletic potential? And, you know, out of college, I think, all right, if I just get kids stronger, they should be better on the field. Yep. That, that's, that is not necessarily the case, you know, as you learn. And the more you learn, the more you realize, wow, this is a, a really kind of deep black hole that you can go into and kind of keep learning more and more stuff. But that's kind of what has always driven me and what still drives me to this day. I love it. I love it. So with that being said, tell us a little bit about your career path. Like, did you go to school for all this? If so, you know, what did you study? Obviously, you open your you've got your own space now. But, you know, talk to me about how you got started in the industry and then kind of the progression that you went through. Sure. So I went to college and I originally intended to go to physical therapy for college. So I went for exercise science and and I initially thought I'll just, you know, start taking physical therapy in grad school. And then as I started taking more of these classes, my interest just was for strength and conditioning. I didn't really have an interest as much in the rehab side of things. Yeah. So I, I did an internship at a sports performance facility. And then after that, right out of college, I I graduated on a Friday and on a Saturday, the next day I I started work at a sports performance. And that's really the place that kind of even shaped me a little bit. So they would do 90 minute training sessions. And of those 90 minutes, 60 minutes were dedicated to speed work. Oh, wow. And yeah, that was way different than any other experience I ever had where the speed work was almost like conditioning aspect or maybe just a a few drills in the beginning, but there was a real technical focus on everything. So I I worked there for a couple of years. I was just working there part-time. I was looking for a full-time job, and eventually I went into personal training and did that for a while. And it was great in the sense that it helped me learn how to deal with unique clients where, you know, you could tell the same client the, the same cue as you would someone else. And they would have a completely different response. And even just the personalities that you see would be very different. So that really helped shape that. But I always kind of wanted to get back into training athletes. So the other two guys I'd mentioned, and I actually mentioned this to you before, we had talked about how the gym got started. Mm -hmm. And the three of us had wanted to get back to training athletes. And we were driving from Philadelphia area to Ohio for an elite FTS sports performance (laughs) summit, which you were presenting at in February, 2015. And it was on that car ride that we're like, we're going to do this. Let's do it. So we came back, Yeah, we started developing a business plan and we kind of went from there. And then in November, we, we opened up. I love it. That's kind of where we are today. I love it, man. And can get, again, congrats, especially making it through the last three months, not been easy on any of us that own gyms and have been forced to close down. So congrats, man. I'm excited for you. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely not been ideal, but you know, the, the one thing out of it was now that people are used to kind of training virtually, it's something that we can continue doing that we wouldn't have necessarily done before. So Absolutely. yes, it wasn't great the last three months, but this is kind of a great opportunity for us to kind of build off of that. Absolutely. Okay. So let's start with a really simple question. Why are you so passionate about not just physical preparation, but especially multi-directional power for athletes? Well, when I train athletes now, and even when I train anyone, I think of training in terms of pattern-specific training. So what are the patterns I, I want them to address 
Uh, you know, some of the old patterns people think of are just like a row, a squat, a hinge. Sure. But if you break that down into speed movements, and I, I know you're very familiar with Lee Taft and, and you're familiar with his speed patterns. If you break down those speed patterns, I started to think, how can we make those speed patterns even more powerful or more robust? And so it's like, all right, well, how do I get power into these types of exercises? If I look at plyometrics and kind of how it got started, it was more about training for track and field, mm -hmm. more so than the, the field athlete. So, you know, you're trying to get guys faster and more powerful. You do your horizontal stuff primarily for acceleration work, some type of like depth jump variation or things like that to be super powerful off the ground and create less ground contact time. That's going to help your max speed. But how are those directly affecting the speed patterns we see in multi-directional speed movements? Yep. And I, I don't know that they are. They definitely help and they definitely should be in every program. But I wanted something more specific to develop those types of things. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Because I feel like so much of the stuff that we've taken from track, again, it's great, but it's almost like GPP for our field court athletes, right? Like it's going to give you some carryover and it's going to improve athleticism to some degree, but it's definitely not going to be like planar specific or movement specific to the, the patterns and the positions they get into on a field or on a court. Exactly. I mean, I, I'd like athletes to be coordinated in the sense that if I ask them to do a movement pattern and I want them to perform it well, and then if I just give them a little bit of variation from that, that they're able to, to take that and carry that over. Because when we're training people in the gym, we're not able to exactly mimic what they'd see on the field because, right. you know, their, their head's looking one direction, they're reacting to the ball, other opponents, their position on the field. So the movement's going to be similar, but it's not going to be exact. So I want to try to develop those patterns of coordination so they can carry them over to the field a little bit better. I love it. Another thing that I love learning about are people's thought process, thought processes, especially when it comes to speed and power development. So when it comes to power in all these different planes of movement, could you start by just kind of giving us your big rocks or your, your cornerstone philosophy to starting to build all these patterns out? Absolutely. So first one is they have to own the movement. And kind of like what I mentioned before, they have to be proficient at the movement. And what I mean by that is I need to see consistency with every single type of jump or power exercise they do. If they can do it with consistency and, and look good while they do it, then they own that movement pattern. And that's when I can progress them to something else. And the other part would be minimize ground contact. A lot of jumps are more concentric focus where we'll kind of start from a static position or just a slight counter movement and we'll, we'll jump as far as we can or as high as we can. But if I'm looking at sport and let's just use an example of you have a defender and they're watching the offensive player coming towards them and the offensive player makes a cut. Yep. That defensive player is going to make a quick cut and how fast they can react and get off the ground is going to be the key to whether they're in a good position to still defend that person. So it's a lot of ground contact work and minimizing that. And the last part would be train the upper body. If someone's going into any sort of turn or jump, even if the legs are in the right position, if they don't have good trunk flexion, good lateral flexion, good rotation, 
they're, they might not be able to get in and out of that cut or turn or explosive movement as fast as they should. So I think that's often a, kind of a missed part yeah. as far as when we're looking at training power. That's interesting. I want to circle back because I love this idea of minimizing ground contact time. And I think some of this is a byproduct of the fact that we pushed strength so hard with our athletes. You know, they're they're very adept at squatting and hinging and pushing very big weights, but they've lost some of that elasticity and they've lost that ability to get, you know, get into a position quickly and then get out of it quickly. So what are some things that you do to help athletes minimize their ground contact time or to improve that elasticity? Well, the, the most basic fundamental kind of elastic pattern is just like a jump rope or a yes. pogo jump. Yep. And then you can take that into some single leg hop variations where as long as you give the athlete the intent of what they're supposed to do, like if I just tell an athlete, all right, just go do some, some pogo hops. And, you know, as you do it, go side to side or actually tell them, look, this is why I want you to minimize ground contact. And this is why I want you to execute it this way. They'll be a little bit better in performing that movement. So I think part of it comes to educating the athlete a little bit of what you want them to do and how you want them to do it. And then you can just progress from there. I always like to cue athletes to, if I'm doing any sort of elastic work laterally, to cue them to go as far as they can where they don't spend more time on the ground. As soon as they spend more time in the ground and it turns into more of like a lateral bound where they stop and load up and yeah. come back, then we're kind of losing the intent of that drill a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're getting that massive amount of dampening to try and absorb the force and then they got to redirect it back out. That makes sense. Cool. So in that same vein... I think it's important to look at what we're not doing well and then learn from our mistakes. I mean, Lord knows I have made more than a few mistakes in my career. So when it comes to power development, what are some of the biggest mistakes you feel like we're making in our programs? Well, some of it comes down to not enough unilateral work. And as I mentioned before, if when a person is reacting to someone else, it's going to be a unilateral movement where they plant a foot into the ground, usually a single foot and then redirect their body whatever direction they need to. So when I talk about unilateral pliers, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I'm doing like single leg depth jumps or anything like that. It doesn't have to be super sophisticated. It just means we have to address these different planes of movement and do it in a way where we're still focusing on single leg strength. If we only ever did double leg strength, we're gonna lose some of that transfer training. If I'm talking about unilateral strength and even positioning in that sense, I like to think of it almost like the blades of an ice skate mm. where you have like the inside edge of your foot, the outside edge of your foot. And depending on how you're going to move, you're going to either go more of like one direction on the outside or one direction more of the inside. And we need to, to train the foot to be strong enough in those positions to respond quickly and effectively. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, Let's talk a little bit of practical application because I think a lot of times people listen to stuff like this and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to make sure I start doing more of this stuff. And, you know, I agree, Jason, we need to get more like lateral power and, and, and plyos and that sort of thing in my program. So when it comes to multidirectional power, would you mind sharing some of the mediums or the tools that you're using to develop it? Sure. So. I would say my first goal when I'm training athletes is to get them in a position where I don't have to get them to consciously think about how they should move. 
but the tool or the band or even a medicine ball, a low box, whatever I'm using puts them in the position I want them to be in without them having to think about it. If we're trying to think about skill acquisition, it's about a subconscious movement where they don't have to necessarily think about it. They're just automatically doing it. So if I'm trying to get someone to just produce more force, I'll use a band and have the band already tensioned around their waist, and I might have them jump out to the side as much as we can. In that same sense, if I'm trying to get them to punch harder into the ground, I might have them with a band resisted around their waist, pulling them back the direction I want them to jump. So let's say the the band's around my waist and it's resisted from my left side. I'm going to jump back to my left and then back to my right as fast as I can. And like I said before, I don't want them to go too far because I don't want them to spend more time on the ground. But if I do that drill and then take the band away and ask them to perform a similar movement, they're probably going to move much faster than than they would otherwise and without necessarily having to think about it because they're using the same kind of force they use into the ground on that drill. So I love bands for that movement. Some of the other ways I I like to do things are not necessarily just to the side or just straight ahead, but kind of all the angles in between. So even if a band is resisted directly to my right, I might have them jump up and forward Mm. or up and back or certain ways like that. And that's going to help build those patterns. The other thing I love are low boxes, just boxes about six inches. If I have an athlete where Let's just use the the same example I had before where a band is around their waist, pulling them back to their left. I have them starting on a box and they have to jump to the side and back onto the box. Just by having that box there, that's going to subconsciously make them punch a little bit harder to get up to that box than they would if they didn't have the box there. If I just cue them, all right, why don't you go out a little bit further, a little bit further, and they can still keep their speed on the ground. Yeah, they're going to move pretty fast up to that box. And then the medicine balls, specifically fake throws with the medicine balls, are a great tool for developing the upper body portion that we talked about. So you can do any sort of, and Lee Tapp mentions this, the kind of the three positions, hold it right in front of your chest, hold it a little bit further out, and then hold it with your arms straight out. And depending on what the athlete needs and kind of what the drill we're working on, we'll work one of those three positions. But it's a great way to pair together the upper body portion with the lower body portion. So you could do something like a step off the box with a chop and have them stick the landing. Or you can just do kind of like a lateral bound forward and backwards with a chop every single time. And that's going to get their core to to function the way it should without having to tell them, all right, I want you to rotate your shoulder this way. I want you to, to lean this way and, you know, squeeze here. So those are kind of the main things that I like as far as how I'm going to try to use tools to develop an athlete. Yeah, I think Lee does such a great job of creating constraints so that he, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's going to coach people, but, you know, a lot of it is implied, right? If you're giving the person the correct exercise or the right drill or you're getting the band on them in the right position, like you don't have to coach them a ton. Like naturally you'll get them into the positions or you'll get them to execute the exercise or the drill the way you want them to do it. And I think that's one of the beauties of his system. Absolutely. I think if, and you can use the same drill and use it with a box, a band, a medicine ball, depending on whatever the individual needs. So you don't have to necessarily vary the drill up a lot. Just change the constraint that you're using to make it more individualized to the person. 
Yeah. And it's certainly easier said than done. But if you can start to figure out those ways and try to find out, all right, what does this person need or what are they lacking? It'll definitely help their development. Love it. So when it comes to the amount of time you would spend on this in a session, you talked about before you were doing 90 minute sessions, 60 minutes of it with speed, agility, power, whatever you want to call it. How long would you say you spend on this stuff now in a training session? So depending on the training cycle, about two or three days a week will be spent on multi-directional plyometrics. And if they're doing, say, two lower body days, two upper body days, just your standard kind of four-day split, they would be doing it in on their lower body days. Yep. Uh, their upper body days might have the rotational components to it. Now, on those days are still some of the typical plyometric stuff that we think of, broad jump variations, counter movement variations even progressing all the way up to, to depth jumps for high-level athletes. So there might only be, you know, two, three exercises in there. So it's not necessarily that this is all they're doing, but it's about building consistency over time where they see these movement patterns and they're utilizing them and they're able to, to develop it better over time. Another way you could kind of work this in is within a speed drill. You know, if I have someone performing a hip turn where they're kind of going to reposition themselves, punch a foot into the ground and, and retreat in some direction, if they're not punching the foot hard into the ground, I, I might put just a simple drill of like, all right, hop forward, punch your right foot into the ground and, and try to go back as far as you can. Right. And I might do that a couple of times, then have them do the speed drill. Yep. So they can be done on their own or they can be done in a way to, to get a better outcome for your speed drills as well. Yeah. And that's something I know Lee and I have talked about in the past is, you know, do you want to go ahead and give them the drills first off and have them kind of explore the postures and the positions and understand what you want them to do? Or I know the way Lee does it is he'll give them the hole first. And then if he needs to plug in a correction, then he'll throw it in and then he'll bring it back to the whole piece again. And I think, you know, obviously, if you're Lee, that's the, the easiest way to do it, right? Because of the way he sees things and his understanding of movement. And I can do that now. But I think early on for me, I needed to see all the different drills first. And I needed to understand, okay, here's what a fake throw is doing. Here's what a hip turn, you know, holding a band is doing. And as I got more comfortable with that, now I could go to more of that whole part whole right off the bat. But I absolutely love that. So I have a follow up question to that. When you talk about doing like your change of direction days. Did you say you do that on your lower body days typically? For the most part, yeah. yeah. So any sort of, I'll call it like a lateral bound variation. Yep. And that doesn't necessarily mean just always straight to the side. Yep. It could be forward, backwards a little bit, or even the same movement. I'll call it a speed skater. If I'm trying to focus on minimizing time on the ground, those will be done on the lower body days. Yep. But I will say for, for all of the drills and even with the speed drills, it's important to have them move fast through the drill. Mm -hmm. And the difference is going to be the, the angles of their trunk, the angles of their shins. If I always have an athlete kind of do the drill slowly, even if I'm trying to get them to learn it, that's not going to transfer quite as well as if I right. have them fast, but just give them a, a simple regression of some kind. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think this is something that I definitely made a mistake with early on when I had more younger athletes versus now I've got a little bit older, more established athletes. But I think part of it was coming back to that idea of, oh, strength cures all, right? And just learn how to push and learn how to load. And, you know, like 
now I look at it and I'm like, man, how dumb was I? Like the worst thing you can do with a slow athlete is do things that continue to slow them down, right? It's not that that strength training base won't give you a foundation, but when you're doing speed stuff, man, they need to feel what it's like to be fast. They've been slow their whole life. They don't need to feel that more when you're trying to make them faster. Absolutely. I've, I've followed a, a few strength coaches during this pandemic and multiple people have said they've had athletes get faster just from doing sprints and plyometrics this whole time yeah. without necessarily losing a ton of strength. And that kind of goes along with what you're talking about. If someone has a good foundation of strength, it's going to be a, a long time before the, they lose that foundation. Yeah. Whereas speed needs to be trained and practiced consistently and much more regularly in order to actually get someone faster, more powerful. Absolutely. Well, and it comes back to that idea of like, you know, if you've got a more force or strength based creature on one end and a more elastic kind of bouncy athlete on the other, it's really easy to make somebody stronger, right? We can go in the gym and we know, hey, three, four, five months, we can make somebody stronger. But, you know, kind of tamping that enthusiasm down a little bit and remembering that a lot of sports are reliant. Yes, strength's important, but being able to be explosive, to be elastic, those are critical qualities as well. And they're absolutely going to help you be faster and more explosive if you're focused on those elements as well. For sure. I mean, we've kind of have adapted that model of speed is our number one goal when Mm -hmm. we're training athletes. If I have someone coming in, you know, regularly in, in their off season and maybe training once a week or so in season, they're going to develop that strength just because they've been doing it for so long and they start to build up the volume. Whereas the speed part of it, that's how people get on the field and and make plays and different things like that. You know, if you ask any coach, they're going to say, we want our athletes to be fast. All right, well, now let's train them that way to get fast. Yeah, I love it. And I can tell you, because I've done at least a hundred, maybe more just in the last year, consulting calls with people that want to come into our gym. So if you own a gym that trains young athletes, I tell you what, the kid that's already fast and explosive, they're not coming to your gym. You're getting the kid that's slow, right? They're sitting on the bench. You know, they can't get on the soccer pitch. They can't get on the basketball court. Maybe they have great feet or a sweet jump shot, but they're not playing because they're not fast enough. So if you can learn to train this quality and help those athletes, man, you can really carve out a niche for yourself. You definitely can. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what we take pride in is when an athlete actually comes back from going to college and they're like, wow, I felt really great, you know, going into my season. I felt faster than other people. Yes. Yes. So I got one, one other question and then we'll kind of jump into our, our final round here. But at least for me, I feel like creating context is super important, right? So a med ball throw to a basketball player is no longer just throwing a med ball for the sake of work, right? It's I'm teaching you how to push. Or if I'm teaching a hip turn, I'm teaching you that because, look, when I learned how to play basketball like 35, 30 years ago, whatever, I was taught plant a foot, pivot, like, you know, whatever, seal the baseline and turn, and it made me slow. And I wasn't as good of a defender. So talk to me about creating context with your athletes. Like, what are some things that you do to help athletes better understand why they're doing certain exercises with you? Kind of what you had mentioned. I try to always relate everything they're doing to some sort of game situation that they would see. And part of that's on the coach to educate themselves about the games and about the positions 
that a certain player might be in, even like a defensive player versus an offensive player, or even a goalie. All those things are going to be a little bit different. The patterns of movement are still going to be the same in most senses, but how they execute them based off of their position is going to be a little bit different. You know, a defender is going to have to be a little bit more proficient at any sort of retreating drill. A forward's going to be a little bit better at, you know, just kind of continuing to move forward. Yeah. A goalie's going to be, have to have to be great just straight side to side. So even as we go through those patterns, I try to relate it to something game-like that they would end up running into. Yeah, I love that. And I think the more you do this and the longer you do this, because, I mean, I've really dove into the speed stuff, I think, like eight years now is when I go back and I had Lee and uh, Nick Winkleman come to our gym and do like an elite speed course. But yeah, eight years in, the more you watch sports, the longer you do this, the more you realize like movement is movement. It's just the context that changes, right? Or how it plays out on a soccer field versus a baseball or softball field versus a basketball court. So if you understand the movements, then it's really just, okay, how does this apply to the person that I'm working with? Absolutely. So even in terms of like a baseball player, they're going to start pretty much every pitch from a static position. Yep. They're like a defensive player is ready to move one way or another, but they're not moving. Whereas other sports, you know, they might be like jogging and then going into the movement or different things like that. So yeah, those are all little things you can change. I love it. I love it. All right, Jason, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum, and give young Jason Fairheller one piece of advice about training in or life, what would it be? I probably would have stopped doing solely personal training a little bit earlier and gotten back to training athletes a little bit sooner. Um, 34 now and kind of wish ah, if I could have gone back just a couple of years and, and started this a little bit earlier. I mean, I love where I'm at and I, I love the personal training clients that I still have but I probably would have gone back and started to do primarily athlete stuff a little bit sooner. Yeah, I love it, man. Okay, so last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions, but your answer can be as long or as short as you'd like, all right? Yep, ready right. for it. Perfect, here we go. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach? I've had a couple clients refer to me as a life coach, which is not something I originally kind of sought out to be. Yep. But when you can kind of have an impact like that on someone, it, it really is a great feeling in a sense that what you're doing goes way beyond the gym. You know, they're thinking about their whole life as far as like wellness and well-being, nutrition, sleep, kind of everything in order to, to make them better. Yeah, I love it, man. And I think, again, with age and experience, you've been doing this for a little while now, you realize that, yes, we work in, within the confines of a gym. But the lessons and the things that we teach are absolutely carried beyond those four walls on a daily basis if you're doing your job right. They definitely are. I mean, because all of those things affect what they do in the gym. Yeah. So if, yes. if you're really trying to get the most out of your athletes or your clients, you got to start digging into those some of the, those other things a little bit more to get better performance even in the gym. For sure. For sure. Okay. Number two, I'll put you on... Uh, put you on blast here, but what's been your biggest mistake so far as a coach and how have you learned from it? I used to do whatever the program said exactly. Yeah. Set for set, rep for rep, didn't matter how the kid was feeling, what the form looked like some of the time. It's like, ah, it's a little sketchy, but you know what? It says we're going to go 
up a little bit. So let's go up a little bit. Right. And especially the last few years, I've gone as far as training kids goes with, all right, here's the ideas of the things I want to execute throughout this workout session. And then what we do may change a ton from what I originally planned, all depending on how they're moving and how they're feeling and, you know, what their reps look like and so on. Well, how much sleep did they get the day before? Yep. Yes. You learn very quickly that, man, we're training humans, right? And like all humans, we've got good days, bad days, and you got to customize the workout based on how that human is standing in front of you that day, what their energy level's like, and what they're prepared to actually go in the gym and do, right? Yep. There's always got to be some give and take with athletes. And I think even as you do that, that helps build a better rapport between you and your athletes yes. where you know they have more trust in you that you have the, their best interests at heart every single day they come in versus you know I'm just one of the guys that's here here's my workout program and just kind of go through it yeah for sure okay you can give a young up and coming coach one piece of advice to be successful in our industry what is it reach out to other experienced coaches. Every single person I've ever reached out to has gotten back to me and it's been super helpful in terms of answering my questions. And you don't necessarily have to go in there with an agenda of, you know, I want, you know, to create a network with this person so they can, you know, give me some clients or right. anything like that. So it's reach out to, to people, get good knowledge. There's so many great coaches out there that you can learn from. And then when you're ready, find a mentor. That mentor yes. is going to help you take the next step in your career that, you know, you might have an idea what you want to do, but you might not know how to get there. Yep. Love it. Okay, my guy. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Jason Fairheller? What are you working on? What are you excited about other than opening the gym? Yep. We'll take that um, as a given. Well, over this time, I recorded a video. Um, I just got done editing it, so it should be up on the website soon. Multidirectional plyometrics for athletes, volume one. Nice. And it kind of goes through everything from like the warm ups, the term owning the movement, ground contact, some upper body work, and then kind of how to incorporate it within your speed training. So that should be up on our website soon. Nice. And besides that, doing some webinars and some other things. So staying busy. I love it, man. Well, I'll definitely be picking up a copy of that. I'm excited to check it out. Well, Jason, you've been awesome to catch up with today. Truly appreciate your time. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work that you're doing? I post a, a lot of stuff on Instagram. It's just my first and last name at Jason Fairheller, J-A-S-O-N-F-E-A-I-R-H-E-L-L-E-R. -E -E the website of the gym is functionandstrength.com. If you go to the website, you can sign up for a newsletter. I have a multi-directional power newsletter that I usually put out about once or twice a week or so. And it's just general tips. There's some videos sometimes, but things that you can apply to your program. It's more kind of principle related as far as like you should do this exactly. I love it. I love it. We'll make sure we get all those links into the show notes so you guys can follow Jason. Great stuff, man. Great stuff. Really appreciate you coming on. And thanks again for your time, buddy. I truly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It has been a pleasure. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Jason. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. This is one that I felt like I should have been taking more notes, if I'm being honest, because, man, I made a lot of these mistakes early on. I used a lot of the track stuff, 
and thought that would cover me or cover my bases as far as training my multi-directional athletes. I thought, you know, if I was incorporating some height ends or maybe some lateral med ball throws into the program, I was checking the necessary boxes. And it's something that, at least for me, it's taken a while to get comfortable training multi-directional athletes, whether it's soccer, whether it's basketball, whether it's football. But I feel like now that I've got a better wrap around how to do it, I feel like it's made me such a better coach as a result. So if you enjoyed this show with Jason, I've got one of two asks for you. Number one, if you're not already subscribed, man, take two seconds out of your day, my friend, and get this done. Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, wherever they have podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, click the subscribe button so that you know each and every week when a new episode drops. I'm going to keep bringing on world-class experts that are going to make you a better trainer or coach. So make sure you're subscribed. If you are already subscribed, do me a favor. It's my goal to get to 200, maybe even 250 rankings or ratings and reviews on the iTunes store. So if you enjoy the show, if you want to give me a nice ranking or a nice rating, like five stars, maybe a nice word or two about your favorite episode or how the show has made you a better trainer or coach, I would truly, truly appreciate that. So head over to the iTunes store, rating, review of the Physical Prep Podcast so we can get more people listening to the show each and every week. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for tuning in every week. I love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.